You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. What if I told you that you could leverage the ugliest thing in this world to help you answer the most important question in the world? What if I told you that you could take the most vile thing that you have seen in your lifetime and use it to answer the most important question of your lifetime? The most important question of your lifetime is, do I have eternal life? Do I know God and do I have eternal life? The the most important question of your life is not what college am I going to and and how's my GPA doing and how's my win-loss columns looking and will I get married one day or am I happy in my marriage now? Am I happy in life? Am I making a lot of money? Is this the job I want? Am I being successful? Those those are not the most important questions of a lifetime. The most important question of your life is, do I have eternal life? The vile thing that you can use, the the ugly thing that you can use to answer that question in your life is sin. What you think of sin, how you respond to your sin. Because how you respond to sin actually says a whole lot about your answer to that question. Do you have eternal life? Sin is anything that comes between you and God. Sin is anything that you love more than God. Sin is anything that that I do, that you do, that, that, that disobeys God's word. So we can actually use our response, our reaction to sin to help us answer the most important question of your life. Let's say that you're in your office at your desk. It's a corner office because you've done really well. Congratulations. And it's a nice building that you're in and you work for a great company, a a prestigious company. And at your desk that day, you're evaluating where to invest millions of dollars of your company. Should you invest those millions of dollars in in company A or company B? And the president of the company is looking to you to, to give the right answer, to give the wisest answer. So there's a a lot on your plate that day. And as you're considering where to invest these millions of dollars of your company in company A or company B, you begin to kind of think about, because our minds wonder, even in the middle of stressful situations, about relationships that maybe you have or a relationship that you have. And maybe you start thinking about marriage or how your family is doing. Maybe you're considering getting married or getting engaged or maybe you're thinking about having children or maybe considering adopting a child or fostering a child and all all these things are also going through your mind as pretty important decisions, even as you're making this important decision of millions of dollars of investment for, for your company. And as you're considering the investment and kind of walking through in your mind some relationship things that you're in the midst of, you, you think of a friend that you got a text from yesterday. And that friend's going through some difficult times. You, you probably have that friend. I have that friend. They're They're struggling. And you start thinking as you're weighing out millions of dollars investment and weighing out relationship issues in your own life, you're thinking through an imaginary conversation of what you should probably say to this friend 
that would encourage them, that would maybe lift them up, that would give them some hope. And so you're kind of even rehearsing there at your, at your cubicle or at your desk here in this, this nice corner office about what you're going to say to this friend. And while you're thinking about the investment, you're thinking about relationships, you're thinking about this friend, all of a sudden you start evaluating your own life. You know, what's, what's important to me? What, how am I using my time? Am I using my time well? What, what are my priorities? What, what do I truly value in, in life? And those are, I mean, friends, those are all important questions. But let's say the day is September 11th, 2001. And that corner office is toward the top of the World Trade Center. And it's 8 a.m. And in light of the things that are about to happen, those decisions all of a sudden seem very small. In light of eternity, whether you know God or even you think you might know God, that's, that's what's most important at that time. You can make all the right decisions in your life, but if you get this decision wrong about eternal life, it doesn't matter. What does it profit a woman or a man to gain the whole world, but to lose their souls? So we're in the book of 1 John together. Would you turn there with me, please? If you're here last week, this would be no surprise. If you weren't here last week, welcome to 1 John. I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you today. I hope that uh, you have a smartphone with you. If you do not have a copy of God's Word or a tablet with you, or maybe you just hope you have a nice person next to you that has one of those, and you can share with them, or you can look on the screen behind me as well. Let's go to 1 John uh, chapter 1 as you well, let's get there first, and then I'll explain. Let's get to 1 John chapter 1. It's toward the very end of your Bible, very end of the New Testament. Four books uh, from, the, from the very end. I guess really five books from the very end. And, and as you get there, or maybe you're there already, we're going to see this morning that John's going to identify three signs of someone who thinks they know God, but they don't really know God. That's why this is such an important word for us today. John's going to identify three signs of someone who doesn't know God, even though they think they do know God, and how that relates to sin. Okay, so 1 John chapter 1. What's really important about these things we're about to read, this is so important, Highland, that you hear this, is that, is that John is describing here, Scripture is describing here, religious people. He's not saying, hey, here's three signs of pagans that don't know God. He's saying, no, this is three signs of people who think they know God, but they don't know God. Three indications that a religious, even spiritual person doesn't really know him. And because that religious, spiritual person doesn't really know God, they don't have eternal life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him. So John's just passing along what he's heard from Jesus. And we now preach it to you. We proclaim it to you that God is light. And in God, there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. And his word 
is not in us. Now, when John was writing this, he didn't say, okay, end of chapter one, let's begin chapter two. He's just writing this letter. So let's look at chapter two, verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Three signs, three indications that John just gave us of religious people who think they know God, but they don't. Let me go ahead and tell you all three. Some of y'all look sleepy and you need, might need a nap the next 18 minutes. I'm not going to give you all three. Here's the answer to the answers, the, the, the code to the answer this morning. Here it is. You don't know God and you don't have eternal life if, number one, you willfully sin with celebration and no regrets, no sorrow. Number two, we just read this. I'm not making this up. This is what God's word is saying. You don't know God and you don't have eternal life if you say you have no sin. And you don't know God and you don't have eternal life if you have no confidence before God because of your sin or in light of the fact that you know you do have sin. All right, if you didn't write those down quick enough, we'll just break them down one at a time. Here it is. You don't know God and you don't have eternal life according to scripture if you willfully sin with celebration and no sorrow. Hear me clearly, this does not mean you don't sin. In fact, John's about to address that. Saying that you never sin is also a problem that John's about to deal with soon. What this passage is saying to us here in 1 John, especially chapter one, is that if you willfully, defiantly pursue sin with, with no sorrow, with no remorse, with no tears, with no regrets, you might say you have light, but instead you're walking in darkness. In fact, notice this imagery of, of light that, that the Holy Spirit instructs John to use. Your Bible's still open. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Let's just look at this, this portion of the passage we looked at just then. Verse 5. So this is the message. Here's, here's what we heard from Jesus proclaiming to you. And even today, here's what John heard from Jesus being proclaimed to you here in 2020 in Waco, Texas, that God is light. And in God, there's no darkness at all. So if we say we have eternal life if we say we know God, if we say we have union and fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness, we are big fat liars, loose translation. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship, first of all, how about this, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Darkness here is talking about moral darkness, like impurity and unfaithfulness and hatred and injustice and hypocrisy. So John is telling us here that you can't say you love God who, who is the light if you just keep on walking in darkness all the time, like with celebration, like wide open, no sorrows, no regrets, no tears, no repentance. But if you've really been saved and you have this new spirit inside of you and it, it loves the light and it desires to walk in the light and it loves justice and it loves faithfulness and it loves purity, it loves Jesus. So you don't know God and you don't have eternal life if you willfully sin, you continue to sin. You just walk in darkness with, with great joy you walk in darkness and with no sorrow. There's really kind of two ways that the church people, I'm gonna use that phrase this morning. I'm talking about spiritual people who show up to church, often pious, but they don't know God. 
They know church. They know Sunday morning responsibilities and where they're supposed to be, but they don't know God. Here's two ways that I think church people are often still in darkness even today. I think these are even kind of common. Here's, here's the first way, believing without repenting. That's church people who just say they have fellowship with God. They say they walk in the light and they're constantly just living in and walking in darkness because they're believing in a God. They might even be believing in a savior, but there's no repentance at all. Remember, repentance is turning away from a life of sin. Repentance is turning away from your rebellion. Repentance is turning away from living life underneath your own authority. Repentance is the first thing that Jesus preached about in his first sermon in Mark chapter one, repent. I mean, leave this life of sin, leave your rebellion, leave living under the authority of, of your own heart, your own mind, your own self. When Peter preached his very first sermon in Acts chapter two, what did he preach? Repentance, turn away and turn to Jesus. When Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 17, he said that all people should repent in view of or in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We should leave our life of sin, leave our life of rebellion, and leave the life of darkness and begin to walk in the light. Unsaved people, religious people, might say they believe in God, might say they even believe in the Savior, but they never leave the darkness. They never leave the rebellion. They never leave the sin. They just keep walking in the darkness. Here's the second thing two ways that you know church people unsaved religious people are often still in darkness they 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 openly are embracing sin they just they wrap their arms around it they, they wrap their lives around it yeah and i know it's wrong but i'm just going to i'm going to celebrate it and and live in it and never speak against it and i'm just going to i'm just going to live in this darkness and wrap my arms around darkness now i'm i'm probably about to drop the attendance of highland by saying these things but I'm hoping to increase heaven's attendance by, by doing so. So stay with me here. A couple that attends church says, we, you know, we live together. We're, we're not married. We, we know it's probably not the right thing to do, but we still consider ourselves Christians. We're church people who cheat on their taxes or constantly steal movies music from the internet and say, well, you know, really, I mean, everyone is, everyone's doing it. Can't be that bad. How about this one? You know, no, no one's perfect. But the young guy who gets drunk on Saturday sleeps with his girlfriend and then makes church a priority that next morning. The people who say, I, I disagree with what the Bible says about homosexuality, but I'm going to, I'm going to be a Christian homosexual as as if God allows us to opt out of things in scripture that we do not agree with. And it feels like I'm picking on a certain group of people in our culture today. Let me also say there's no such thing as a Christian racist or a Christian abuser, or violent Christian, a Christian gossip, or just a Christian jerk. There's no such thing. Why is it that we often try to opt out of things that the scripture calls light. And we just like to hold on to the darkness. Here's what I'm trying to say. You can't say you love Jesus and embrace what he died to decimate. You can't just wrap your arms around and go, I know it's wrong. I know what scripture says. I know what the, what the preacher guy says, but unsaved religious church people 
believe without repenting. They openly embrace sin. You can't say you love Jesus and embrace what he died to decimate. You can't call Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and and forsake what he has said is forbidden and just walk toward it instead. If these words seem harsh to you, let's go to God's word. I'll let God's word be just as harsh, if not harsher. We're in 1 John chapter 1. Go down to chapter 2 with me. Go down to verse 4 of 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. This, this hits us in the face. So if you don't like to be, to be hit in the face by God's scripture, then, then put your finger in your ears for this one because the Bible says, whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Ouch, wow. And the truth is not in him. Whoever says, oh, I I know God. I'm not gonna keep his commands. I'm not gonna obey him, but I I know him. I'm saved, I'm, I'm I'm going to heaven. But you don't obey God, you don't keep his commandments. John's words, not mine. Liar. Liar. If you know God, you will run toward obedience. If you know God, you're gonna walk in the light just as he is in the light. You don't know God and you don't have eternal life if, number two, you say you have no sin. If you say, I'm I'm good. I mean, that list you just gave me, preacher guy, I'm I'm good with all those. I I don't, I mean, I'm I'm doing pretty well in life. I'm I'm pretty close to perfect. I have no sin at all in my life. I can't even think of you. You know you don't know God and you know you don't have eternal life if you say you have no sin. Bible's still open. Look at 1 John chapter one. Look at verse eight with me. It's so clear. This is why I love preaching the book of 1 John. So clear. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful. God is just to forgive us our sins and to to clean us up from all of our unrighteousness. If we say, how clear is this? If we say, oh, I have not sinned. We have not sinned. We make God out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Imagine you're in a filthy, dirty room. But you have no idea you're in a filthy, dirty room because the lights are off. And you're standing there in the middle of the room and, and um, someone hands you a match and you light that match and just in the soft glow of that, of that match burning, you're able to see, man, there's, there's like trash all, all around me. And you see like dirty clothes on the, on the floor that probably haven't been washed in, you know, weeks, months, semesters, I'm not sure. And someone hands you a, a flashlight and now you're able to see a little bit more like you, um, there's a bed over here and like it's, it's, I mean, it looks like someone, an animal has been living in this bed. There's just food everywhere and the, the sheets are, are filthy, dirty. Also, you can tell me they, they have not washed these sheets in, in, in forever. And then all of a sudden the, the lights turn on in, in this room and then you're able to see just the junk, the filth, like every, all around you. You're standing just in the middle of, of trash and you realize, man, I'm in a, guy's room at Penland. Like, this is a dorm room at Penland. This is where I am. You know, I was a Penland guy myself. It was just look, look, look terrible. You, that's really what awakening is, believe it or not. That's what an awakening to God is. You begin to realize, man, I, I messed up. And I really need someone to clean this up for me. And I can't do this myself. Here's what you can write down in your notes. The first sign of God's grace is you get a sense of how needful and messed up your heart is. 
hey, listen, sister and brother, that's not God being judgmental toward you. That's him being loving toward you when he shines a light in your heart and you go, man, I need a savior. Wow, I need someone to, to clean me up from all this unrighteousness, all the filth in my heart, all the, all the trash in my mind. I need someone to, to step in and to, to remind me, to show me, first of all, how, how needful I am of a savior, how, how messed up my heart is, how upside down my heart is. That's, let, me just, let me own this. One of the greatest things God ever showed me by his grace was the fullness of my heart. And it wasn't a pretty thing when I was a freshman in college. And I was churched, spiritual. I mean, I was, I was born a Baptist preacher's boy. I was born in Hillcrest Baptist Hospital, went to Baylor Baptist University. I mean, I, I, mean, I had the church thing down. One of the kindest things God has ever done for me is to show me the fullness of my heart. And I realized I knew church and I knew about God, but I'm not sure I really knew the joy of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if I was saved as a six-year-old or as an 18-year-old freshman at Baylor. I just know today I'm saved because I turned to Jesus. That was a sign of his grace toward me that my heart had some trash in it. You know, when someone carries themselves with this air of how good they are and how perfect they are, that actually smells terrible. That, that's theological body odor. That's just like, you, you don't know. I mean, you don't know. You think that, that you're living this life and you're just of, of perfection and, and you smell bad. You carry this air of pretense of, I have no sin in my life. If you don't realize you, if you think you have no sin, then you have no Jesus. Because once we realize how, and I, and this is a harsh word to hear, how wretched our hearts are without Christ. That's when we turn to Jesus and ask him to clean us up from all of unrighteousness. You don't know God and you don't have eternal life. If number three, you have no confidence before God because of your sin. You have no confidence in God in light of your sin, knowing that you do have sin. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses one through two. Let me read this to you again. I love, this is a very tender word. My little children, my beloved ones, John is saying, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and, and not just for our sins, but also he has laid down his life for the sins of the entire world, for the whole world. You don't know God, you don't have eternal life if you have no confidence before God because of your sin. No, propitiation there, I know that's a big word, it's kind of an SAT word. You probably did not use the word propitiation yesterday or anytime this weekend in, in, in a conversation. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a biblical word, it's kind of a churchy word. And sometimes I go to pastor conferences and they will tell us, you know, try to steer clear of these churchy words. Like no one really you know, knows what they are and no one really wants to know what they are. But I just keep thinking, you know, if, if all of you know the name of every Starbucks drink, certainly you can understand, you know, this word. And if our fourth graders understand all the hidden bonuses of Super Mario Kart, then certainly we can understand like what this word is. Propitiation is a great word. It means that a debt has been settled. A payment has been made. A debt that was rightful against you has been paid for. Jesus paid God in his own blood 
so that we could be forgiven. Really, it's Jesus propitiated. He settled a claim that was rightful. I mean, we, we, were, we were in the wrong. And Jesus settled a claim by paying the full penalty of our sin. I mean, that's why the cross is so bloody. I don't know, maybe y'all have gotten this before. Like, why, why is the cross so gruesome? I, every now and then I get it around Good Friday time here at Highland. Someone will email me and go, why, you know, why do we concentrate so much on just how horrific the cross was and how gruesome the cross was and how bloody the cross was? Well, here, here's the answer. Here's my answer because our sin was gross. Our sin was gruesome. Our sin was horrific. Therefore, a gruesome price was paid for our Forgiveness. Only the blood of Jesus could pay the penalty, could, could meet the claim, to satisfy the claim that was against us. The second word that's here in verse one is the word advocate. It's a legal term. It's referring to someone who argues your case at the bar of justice. Really, it's, it's a lawyer. It's Jesus being your lawyer. It's Jesus being your advocate before, before the Father. He stands there like, like a lawyer and he pleads on your behalf. How does he do his argument? It's with his blood, with his life, with his cross. So I'll own this again. One day I will stand before God. One day my heart will stop. My breathing will stop. My spirit will leave this body and I will stand before God. And when I get there, Jesus, my lawyer, will be at heaven. And as I stand next to my advocate... He will plead my case before the Father. He will say, this is Durham. And he sinned a lot. But I paid for it. I settled that claim. He's been purchased with the most precious commodity in the universe, my blood, Father. He belongs to you. Jesus, our advocate. You see, it wasn't as if the day of my salvation, I stopped sinning. Oh, I'm still prone to wonder. Is that now in Christ Jesus, I have a lawyer. And even in my sin, I have this confidence that he is pleading my case with his own blood, his own sacrifice. Friday evening, here in this room, over here to my left, to your right, Mark Vital, the forward guard for Baylor University basketball team was baptized over here. He, on Wednesday night, turned to Jesus for life and turned to Jesus and asked for forgiveness and put his faith in Christ and by his own timeline, wanted to get baptized immediately. Like, I wanna get this done. And so it was an incredible opportunity for us to, to gather over here and to celebrate a young man who put his faith in Christ who said, I heard him say, I'm leaving the old life and I'm, I'm, I'm in Christ now. But you know, also today in the next gathering, 1120, there's two young sisters being baptized who said the same thing that the big old rebounder from Baylor said. I wanna to turn to Jesus. I wanna leave my old life and turn to Jesus and find life in him. I guess what I'm trying to, say to you, friends, it doesn't matter how old you are or what your past is or the color of your skin or what you have done or how close or how far away you might feel from church or from God or from spirituality. Today, you can turn to Jesus and find life. 
and certainty of eternal life. So to that end, would you stand with me, please, as we pray together? Father, it's the most important decision of a lifetime. And every other decision we might get right, it does not matter at all if we get this one decision wrong. We could gain the whole world. But if we do not know Jesus and believe in Jesus and repent from our old life and turn to Jesus, then we have forfeited. We've lost our souls. So God, I pray that this morning there'd be others like Mark, like Jordan, like Karis, who repented, turned away from an old life and turned to Jesus. God, I pray for those today who are believers in Christ and they know it, but maybe today's just a day of repentance and saying to the Lord, I, I, I wanna pursue justice and holiness and purity. I want to pursue Jesus. I've, I've, I've walked in the shadows and I'm ready to, to walk fully in the light. God, the last thing we want to do is make you out as a liar because you've been nothing but truthful and loving toward us. So God, we cannot say we have fellowship with you and yet constantly pursue with celebration and no sorrow the darkness. So God, today I pray there would be women and men and students and children in this place at this time turn to Jesus for life. In Christ we pray, amen.